0: Welcome to Industry Insights, a podcast from the European film market in cooperation with Goethe-Institut. My name is Johanna Koljonen. I'm a media analyst and experienced designer based in Sweden. And I'll be your host for this premiere episode of the podcast. Industry Insights is a show for, by and about the film industry. And in this first episode, we'll be leaning heavily into the insights part. It is my great pleasure to welcome Research Director Guy Bisson from Ampere Analysis joining us from the UK. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we're going to talk today about changes to the TV landscape on a, on a sort of high level, changes that are already occurring, uh, tendencies that you can see in your data today. And I, I thought that that's probably where we should start with, with the method. So for listeners who are not familiar, what is Ampere Analysis and what do you all do?
1: Well, Ampere is a London-based firm of specialist entertainment analysts. We track the uh, exploitation of content from the cinema onwards, and we really work with uh, research, strategy and marketing teams at uh, large media companies, particularly studios, broadcasters, uh, telecoms and pay TV operators, channel groups and technology companies. Uh, very global in outlook. Uh, everything we do is about the entire world. We're not just focused on Europe. And one of the things that we do differently is pull in insight from consumer research, very deep and detailed content analytics, and then more traditional forecasting, financial forecasting and performance forecasting for the operators, channels and players within the business. So it gives a very holistic view of the industry as a whole.
0: It, it it does. It's so wonderful to hear you speak because you always seem to know what everybody else is watching. And I guess I have to ask an informal question here. When you watch TV, do you feel you're working?
1: Absolutely not. One thing I'm very, very good at is switching off. And, and once I've switched to Netflix or Sky or one of the providers, um, that's it. I'm definitely not working.
0: Oh, that's great. I'd uh, I'd like to start out with the two macro trends that no one can have missed: the continuing pandemic, obviously, and the accelerating tra- transition of the major studios uh, towards the direct-to-consumer strategy. Could you start by by setting those two big themes up for us?
1: Absolutely, and I think I think they're particularly fascinating. And what's so fascinating about them? is they could not be more different. They could not have come from more different positions. And yet the impact on so many aspects of the industry and on consumers with regard to the way that they're engaging with television and with content is very similar. So out of the blue, we've we've had this pandemic hit in the first quarter of last year. Uh, What did it do? It led to lockdowns all around the world. People were locked up at home. Uh, they turned to streaming services. At the same time, it shut down global TV production, particularly high-end scripted production. And it led to studios with cinemas closed, beginning to accelerate their experimentation with content windowing, so pushing theatrical releases straight to streaming. The impact of that was that it pushed better content onto those streaming platforms, which created a cycle whereby that acceleration in audience shift got even faster and faster. At the same time, take, put COVID aside and pretend it never happened, the studios already were going direct and changing that strategy. So a similar impact. They started pushing more and more of their content onto those streaming platforms and they started commissioning high-end originals for those streaming platforms, which had the same effect. It accelerated that audience shift and that engagement. So completely different cycles, completely different causes, same effect. And the end result is that while we, of course, expected an acceleration of streaming change in 2020, before we'd even heard of COVID, it got that much faster uh, and that much more embedded and I think that's that's the really interesting interaction between those two core things that happened in 2020.
0: It's fascinating. Even the streamers themselves had no idea. Uh, they've had to adjust their targets uh, many times during the last last years. And now their projections, of course, for the next three to five year period looks even more intense. But I think maybe we should break it up a little bit uh, Slightly by content type, so if if we start with the window system for feature films and and of course, there's a lot of talk obviously about this in the in the industry, the window system for for releasing feature films is clearly changing. so how would you say that that affects the ecosystem as a whole
1: that's a it's a really important question. I think it's another thing that the studios would had wanted to do at least to some degree and 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 were partially held back by at the exhibition industry, until COVID came along and forced everybody's hands. I think what's interesting about that is the economic balance and where that tipping point lies in respect of does it make sense, assuming we come through this in six or 12 months, does it make sense to continue to push uh, movies into the streaming platform and bypass the theatrical window? And as you've just alluded to, I think the the position is shifting constantly. What we probably thought six months ago has moved on a bit from what we now think. I think the answer to that is that we will go back to the theatrical window. I think it will still be strongly supported by the studios. Uh, It's important for marketing content. It's important on the knock-on effect. It has on value on subsequent exploitation. I think that's particularly true for higher budget releases. But it's a little more questionable for slightly lower budget releases where the economic balance between the money you can make from pushing it to a Vod window or a streaming platform versus theatrical, they're a little bit closer in terms of the income for the studios. Um, that said, I think we have passed the point where, and this is this is what I was referring to earlier six months ago I would have said definitely not big budget releases when we're through this will continue to go to pivot but now I would say probably occasionally they will particularly on platforms like Disney possibly Warner because of the promotional effect they will have on that streaming platform and the subscriber acquisition impact they will have on those increasingly important platforms.
0: So, Pivod. Uh, in, in case somebody hasn't heard this term yet, uh, I'll just spell it out. Of course, that's premium video on demand, and by that we mean a transactional uh, streaming window that is happening, that is uh, adjacent to or replacing the the or or, or um, simultaneous with the theatrical premiere can be slightly before can be slightly after can be at the same time and then the idea is that if you choose to watch it at home you pay quite a lot more uh, than you would uh, even for a ticket in the cinema they've been priced very differently but we can talk about perhaps 20 30 40 even euros depending on on the title and sometimes that's done on a subscription platform as well so you have to be a subscriber first the very different models here we'll see what sticks but i mean i think it's fascinating what you're saying uh, here I think perhaps we've we've just thought of it a little bit too simply. We have to have many thoughts in our in our minds at the same time. I think just as you do that audiences will absolutely rush to have that shared physical experience. Um at least those who haven't been hit too hard uh, personally by the pandemic will perhaps, you know, I think we'll get through the fear pretty soon and, and really we'll see a boost probably in in those kinds of live-type events like, like theatrical exhibition. At the same time, in the last decade, we've made a lot of movies that we didn't perform in theatrical, especially mid-sized movies, but, but quite a lot of films that, that were just losing money in that window. And, and as you say, for them, Pivot might be a much better deal. Uh, or some kind of transactional uh, release plan.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: Now, there's also this other window system, or release pattern, that is quietly disappearing. And that was the historical cycle of American TV content, which would start out on some kind of premium, premium service or network, and generate value through pay TV or, or advertising, and of course, also being sold across territories, which is how we saw that content in Europe. And then sometimes uh, in the US, end, ending up in syndication, which from con- the consumer perspective is those shows that are always on, you know, you turn on the TV, and those shows are always on, those would have been in syndication. So then those rights would be working for the rights holders for, for decades, uh, often. And And moving away, moving towards direct to consumer, of course, is also about switching this Uh, system, which in Europe doesn't affect us as directly. But could you talk a little bit about what that does on a sort of systems level to to TV?
1: Yeah, there are two fundamental transitions, I think, within that question. Um, One is a simple one that the channel business is shifting to a streaming channel business Um, that on its own fundamentally doesn't change the value chain of exploitation. Uh, as you rightly say, what changes the value chain is the fact that the companies that were pro- or do produce a lot of the content are now going direct. That is the fundamental change for the first time in a, effectively a hundred year history of the studios. Uh, they are bypassing their traditional partners. And that has all sorts of impacts down the value chain. Um, It has an impact, of course, on the supply of content to third parties. It's not just other streamers like Netflix, but it's TV channels as well. Um, It has an impact on the distribution business and particularly international distribution business, businesses that might have taken some of that content on board to sell into those international markets. Um, And it has a impact on the whole subscriber relationship with content and with the brands that supply that content traditionally we we didn't think as as consumers of particularly um, with some exceptions Disney possibly being one of them but with most exceptions we didn't think of the studio when we watched a piece of content on a TV channel increasingly that is the brand that will be presenting that content to us So the whole dynamic of the value chain has changed, not actually because of streaming, because that's just the shift of one means of distributing television to another means, and we've had lots of technical shifts like that in the past. But it's that disruption to the content business-to-business value chain that is absolutely fundamental. And of course it changes the whole competitive dynamics of the business as well, uh, as soon as those studios go direct.
0: Do you think it will create opportunities for European content uh, internationally in the US market perhaps, but also in, in the rest of the world as some of this US content might not be as available?
1: Yes, yeah, so it, it absolutely does. I mean, not that on its own, that is one aspect of it, but just the fact that the the business has moved towards truly global platforms, so Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus. They really are the first truly global uh, consumer-facing channels, if you like. Um, And that fundamentally changes the opportunities because they need uh, local interest content. And increasingly, because of the rights situation around accessing uh, rights on a global basis, it makes more sense to produce that content. So that has driven the massive upswing in non-U.S. production that we've seen in the last three to four years. That is an opportunity absolutely for uh, European and other, other rest-of-world producers. So I think um, the market is more dynamic than it has ever been for non-U.S. content. No. More accepting of non-U.S. content and more accepting of non-English particularly content than it's ever been before.
0: Now, you said that the last three to four years of that this has already been happening. And, and, and of course, that's, that's correct. And the number of. Of uh, Of these big uh, um, the, stu- the studios are the u s majors are, are only now sort of launching globally speaking their direct to consumer offerings internationally and of course also we're seeing regional uh, or or, uh, or or local streamers also getting in the game in in a big way so it seems that the streaming market is co- going to continue to grow also driven of course by by the realities of the pandemic or accelerated by that. So, yes, the world economy is struggling, but streaming, ironically, is doing incredibly well. So, we were in a boom, and this boom hasn't been halted, really, um, by the pandemic. So, I guess my question to you is, how long can it continue? Uh, will, it, will it contract at some point?
1: Um so you're right. It, it's, we, we did some analysis of each of the windows and, and the impact of COVID, and, and the only one that grew was streaming. So Everything else was down. Theatrical was very hard hit. Free-to-air TV in terms of advertising, very hard hit. Slight boost to uh, home entertainment, so digital rental, but, it, but the streaming market grew massively. Netflix, in the beginning of the year, talked, uh, talked about a concept that they called carry forward. Um, they said, look, we're, we're going to see a lot of growth in the first half because of lockdown, but then we expect it to slow down in the second half. And lo and behold, it didn't slow down at all. Um, and, and you'll have seen the growth of Disney as well, uh, how rapidly that is continuing to grow. Of course, it's going to slow at some point. Um, But I absolutely can't see it contracting, not least because we are talking about a fundamental transition. So even if there was no growth per se in the uptake of streaming, you've still got this this massive uh, traditional business that still needs to transition fully to streaming. So think of the entire TV channel business that is gradually shifting over. So just that provides a great deal of uh, great opportunity in terms of the uh, overall business. And I, I can't see it slowing down at all. In, in terms of the content production boom, um, again, that will ease off, but it's not going to go into reverse. I don't think we're, uh, I think, as I've stated quite, quite often, I don't think we're in a bubble we are definitely in a boom and we're in a fundamental transition. And that's going to continue to see a lot of change over the near term.
0: So one thing that might change, I mean, I'm hoping that it's exactly as you say, then that we sort of settle at this relatively high level, that would be f- fantastic. But but right now, as all of these services are, are competing to establish themselves in markets, the, they are putting or the, the exclusivity of the content is incredibly important to them. And, and when I speak to producers and, and sales agents and actually also to streamers, they sort of say, well, the, the exclusive content, those originals, that's what's going to make the, the subscriber try your service and, and commit to your service. But once they're there... If you just want to keep them from sort of churning out, you want to keep them subscribing, there just needs to be stuff for them to watch. And that other stuff, the rest of the catalogue, doesn't necessarily have to be exclusive. And this suggests to me that that in a few years, once all of these services are sort of finding their place in the market, we, we might see a little bit more of a distribution market that, that, that in some ways reminds us more of, of how it's worked before. Can we say anything at this point of, of how that's going to work? And do you agree with their analysis that, that exclusive content uh, is going to be less central perhaps three or four years from now?
1: Um, so I, I agree partially, but I think what, what it applies to is acquired content. Um, original content created by Netflix and other streamers will remain, I believe, exclusive to those platforms uh, rather than then being sold into, um, onto other players and other platforms. What we see in the data already is actually for both acquired and um, original that the content tends to be exclusive on a single platform at a given point in time. And then it's the acquired content that will pop up on a, another platform a year down the line. So they are continuing to uh, license once the rights deal expires for the acquired content. But I think for the original, uh, that continues to be a very important driver for the platforms and it will continue to be, to, to be so. So I think there's a two uh, two-pronged approach to how content licensing will continue.
0: And that would seem again to to offer some opportunities for for instance the national broadcasters and 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 other sources of sort of qualitative for instance t v drama content uh, that that can actually be monetized uh, internationally even if you need to keep that that first uh, first window or your national market for yourself you can do it in collaboration with international services, of course, but you can also you can re- We can really think of a more sort of traditional distribution, re- distribution reappearing for those kinds of projects.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure it's even reappearing. I'm not sure it even went away. It's mm. it's just that, you know, as we talk about the latest trends and, and the things that are really changing and driving the industry... Um, there's a, a natural human tendency to think it's all or nothing, but of course it isn't. The tra- the things that we, you and I are talking about now uh, clearly are happening, but they're not everything that's happening. And, and the traditional models are still operating and still very important to the industry. Um, one slight uh, point I would make on that, though, is that one of the things that streaming does is open up the opportunity for broadcasters to have a global platform and we're seeing that increasingly particularly in Europe not so much in the in, in the Americas and Asia but there are many examples um, via play being one in, Sc- in Scandinavia but been very vocal about their plans to launch in 2029 20, markets Britbox in the UK similar uh, global rollout plans so the the uh, as as that strategy begins to grow, um, then we we almost have another factor pushing those broadcasters to retain the rights for themselves and for their own platforms and to keep them exclusive. again, it will apply to their own production and the high budget production and not so much to what they 're acquiring in the open market. but I think it's a second uh, interesting dynamic that The broadcasters who have always been regional or single market players often are now seizing the opportunity to take their brands and their platforms through streaming to a much wider geographic footprint. So again, that could change things in the coming few years.
0: To me, that's incredibly exciting because it also allows us to talk in a way and think about something else, talk about another kind of landscape than than the sort of, you know... Netflix's and Amazon's, which are, I mean, of course, or or some companies like Apple and, and, and Amazon, which are among the biggest in the world, no matter how you count. In a way, it feels like, obviously, <laughs> if if you want to con- compete with them just on budgets, that's just not going to be possible. And I f- think it feels like an enormous relief to be able to sort of set that aside and say, oh, yes, but there's this enormous streaming market and these enormous global opportunities. Uh, which are very different from what we've seen, especially if you come from a from a smaller country like a like a Nordic one or even a, a market like Germany that historically hasn't had a, enormous international successes for its content the the playing field has changed
1: the playing field has changed significantly and we haven't even mentioned um, advertising supported platforms, particularly the international ones, who are providing a, a market a, a large market for what you, what you could call deep archive or library content at the moment they are heavily reliant on much much older content that might not otherwise have found uh, a sales opportunity so again it's coming back to that point about not uh, focusing entirely on what Netflix is doing and Disney is doing and that trend there are all sorts of other trends going on underneath and one of them is the the opportunities that even Amazon provides for monetizing archive and, and uh, library content outside of the Amazon Prime platform with the Amazon Direct opportunity, but also new entrants like 2B and Voodoo and some of those big US-driven but international AVOD platforms are providing a new market for that older content.
0: Here are national broadcasters that are advertising, those that are, are advertising fun, financed might need to move pretty fast uh, to, to be serious about the streaming game, to, to keep their existing audiences uh, and their existing national reach, I think, because it's, it's clear that those international competitors are coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think national broadcasters are in a, if, if we were to segment the market, because of the quality and recency of their content, particularly the the drama production that they go into, but also because they are a um, deposit is the wrong word, but they 're the place that people go for, for example, reality content and light entertainment and chat shows, and all the other things that you know we don 't talk about so often because maybe they 're not as exciting as drama and high end drama, but they 're really important for driving the audience. Um, and that's where regional broadcasters are strong, and they're strong in uh, locally significant uh, high-value drama production as well, which sets them apart, certainly at the moment, from those international AVOD players who are, who are, who are reliant on very large catalogues of quite old uh, and lower-quality content. So the the market's definitely segmenting. But I think that places... Ironically, it places the local broadcasters often in competition more directly with Netflix uh, and mm-hmm. Disney because of the that's where the quality drama is appearing at the moment on, on those platforms and on the national broadcaster platforms.
0: Now, you mentioned Disney again. That made me think of this. Earlier, you, you sort of nodded it to Disney as a kind of special case. Uh, they have They own so many story brands that have a genuinely global audience. And, and of course, some of that library they've been building on for, for 80 years. But, but I, I mean, Pixar and, and Star Wars and Marvel are all relatively recent acquisitions, I want to say perhaps in the last decade. They could see where this was heading and they made some expensive investments that have really paid off uh, for them. And I, I wonder, could you speak a little bit to what, what Disney did Uh, with those massive brand-generating machines and and why it works.
1: Well, again, uh, talking of ironic, uh, who would have thought that a a mouse, a a cartoon mouse invented in 1928, uh, would provide the perfect strategy for the way that the entertainment business works today? But it's absolutely true. I mean, Walt Disney uh, was religious in his need and desire to keep control of the character that was mickey mouse so uh, you, you you can call it the mickey mouse strategy because that's exactly what it is that control of ip is so important today because it comes back to pretty much everything we've just talked about the need for global rights okay if you need global rights own production makes a lot of sense what Where do you source material for own production? If you can source it internally from your own characters and franchises, so much the better. Uh, If you own it already, so much the better. Um, So all of these strategies rise to the fore and become incredibly important because we've moved to this world of global platforms, global rights. And the control of IP, I think, is one of the next frontiers of... Uh, battle among media groups uh, in a way they've they 've always had at least one eye on the control and the ownership of content and characters, but I think it's become in the, very recently in the last eighteen months, one of the primary strategies of investment for all of the major studios and content owners is to look for sources of character rights and for something that can be taken and, and monetized in that way. And that's why we've seen lots of deals recently to acquire comic fran- comic franchises, podcast platforms, even music catalogues that potentially give greater control of characters and character rights. And, and that, that's going to be accelerating over the coming years.
0: Yeah, characters and story worlds as yes, well. Absolutely. So sometimes it can even be an original piece of content in some other medium that perhaps you know that it wasn't a global success or anything but it has a world that that is good for telling stories in what concerns me about this is that that there are very few truly global story brands available that aren't already owned by a massive company uh so that's one problem and another is where do we make new ones that that in an industry focused on adaptations and 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 monetizing um existing IP in new ways and in new platforms um, because it felt safer. But that also sort of, that has sort of taken resources away from, from developing original IP. Um, and eventually I mean, we will need new things and we will need new things to stay relevant to the contemporary moment too.
1: Yeah, and, and it's very clear from the drama adaptations that we're tracking that they are exploring those new platforms for the creation of ideas and content so we we've seen a a, an upswing in content adaptations from blogs from podcasts from computer games from comic and manga books Um, so all of these sources of content are ascending in importance in terms of looking for that next global character and that next global story uh, the book, the novel, is still the most important, but increasingly, uh, content creators are turning to these other sources, and, and again, that's another trend that we would expect to continue to accelerate as we move through the coming years.
0: Then that's also sort of from the producer's perspective, I suppose. If you're a writer, if you're a screenwriter in particular, and then you want to do something, uh, you want you have a script for an original. Uh, story, perhaps you may in fact want to test it on another platform first, and that might be a way to do a proof of concept uh, that will actually help you get the film made eventually.
1: Yes, yes,
0: absolutely. I think that's about what we have time for. Uh, Guy, of course, you have a talk scheduled during the FM uh, where you're going to touch upon some of these topics and also uh, a bit more about specifically what kinds of content audiences are looking for. Uh, That's uh, going to be on Wednesday at 4.30 at the Berlinale Series market. Uh, Do you have any tips or alluring hints about what you'll say that we could add to this?
1: No, I would uh, advise everyone to watch it. Though Um, There's going to be some interesting data on what's getting commissioned, for example, uh, uh, and also a look at the uh, trends in terms of streamers versus those traditional broadcasters that we were just talking about and how not only covid has impacted them differently but how they're approaching the future of content slightly differently as well so some very interesting points going to come out of that i hope
0: we started with a personal question i'm going to have to land on a personal question uh, as well for you personally what is the most exciting thing about this field right now
1: um for me i think it's it always has been content um it sounds like a, a cop out to say that because, of course, we're we're focusing in in this talk and in a, in our analysis on content. Um, but I think what's most exciting is the way that, that has evolved, um, so that the f- movie and and the the cinema, while still incredibly important, is not the be all and end all of high end, high budget, high engagement content, and it's that. Massive expansion of choice of voice and story that has come from the boom in high-budget scripted TV content, and added to our enjoyment in the home. Uh, that that is the most exciting for me, absolutely. And and you know, as as we've been talking about, it's so fundamental now to the way that different players and different platforms differentiate themselves from one another and continue to compete in an increasingly complex global market. So content is just uh, endlessly exciting to me.
0: And for once, the sort of strategic changes are are genuinely sort of feeding creative uh, exploration as well, which is super fun. Yes, yes. All right, Guy, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, that was so interesting. As usual, uh, what's your website?
1: Uh, ampereanalysis.com.
0: And we'll put that in the show notes as well for people to find you there. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. So that was all for today. I'll just like to tell you a few words about what's going to be happening in your feed in the next week. As the EFM rolls around, my colleague Julia Fidel will get you a daily EFM morning brief to help you navigate the market. And in the next full-length episode of Industry Insights, you'll hear from me again with my media analyst hat on. I'll be presenting some highlights from the Body Film Festival's eighth annual Nostradamus report looking at the change in the screen industries. And I will talk to a really exciting producer, John giwaamo who is already working in the future. You don't want to miss that, so hit subscribe on your podcast provider or look us up at www.efm-berlinale.de. Industry Insights is a podcast from the European film market in cooperation with Goethe-Institut. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.